Our passage this morning is from Ephesians 4, verse 7 through 16. Verse 7, but grace was given to each one of us according to the measure of Christ's gift. Therefore, it says, when he ascended on high, he led a host of captives and he gave gifts to men. In saying he ascended, what does it mean but that he also descended into the lower regions, the earth? He who descended is the one who also ascended far above all the heavens, that he might fill all things. And he gave the apostles, the prophets, the evangelists, the shepherds, and teachers to equip the saints for the work of the ministry, for building up the body of Christ, until we all attain to the unity of the faith and to the knowledge of the Son of God, to mature manhood, to the measure of the stature of the fullness of Christ, so that we may no longer be children, tossed to and fro by the waves and carried about by every wind of doctrine, by human cunning, by craftiness and deceitful schemes. Rather, speaking the truth in love, we are to grow up in every way into him who is the head into Christ, from whom the whole body, joined and held together by every joint with which it is equipped, when each part is working together properly, makes the body grow so that it builds itself up in love. Thanks, McKinsey. Well, this morning we are continuing our sermon series on the vision and values of our church. And so um, we have two more weeks left after this Sunday. And so we are nearing the end of this journey. But I hope uh, that this series has been helpful uh, just for you and for us as a church. Uh, kind of as I explained, just as we're kicking off this series, it's easy uh, for a church to kind of just you've been here for a while, just kind of fall into the pattern and routine and just kind of going through the motions. It's kind of easy just kind of get complacent. It's easy to just kind of press autopilot and just kind of go through those normal patterns and routines on a Sunday morning and, and throughout the week and just easy to forget just why in the world we're here and, and why we gather together and, and why we exist as a church. And so I hope that this series has been helpful uh, just in the sense of helping us to just remind us just of who we are as a church while we're here to kind of give us a renewed sense of, of commitment, a renewed sense of energy when it comes to just what we're to be about and to this vision, mission, and goal that we've been going through when it comes to the life of our church. And so then over the last few weeks, if, you, if you've been with us, you know that we've been going through, specifically going through the core values of our church, which helped to undergird this vision, mission, and goal of our church that we talked about in January. And so this is quiz time. The first core value we talked about was, this is the audience participation point of the service, was, of course, Nikki is going to know every single one of these. You can't answer anymore, okay? Um, the second core value we looked at was, oh, was meaningful membership. Good job. The elders and their wives got that one. Okay. Let's, the third core value, which was last week, so please, third, gospel centrality. Thank you, Janelle. So gospel centrality. So desperate prayer, meaningful membership, gospel centrality. All those core values helping to undergird this overall vision, mission, and goal that God has given us um, when it comes to glorifying God by making disciples of all nations. And so then the fourth core value we're going to look at this morning is that of, is that of equipping. 
of equipping the saints for the work of, of ministry. And I want you to think about, just real quick, why this is so important. Why it's so important that we would call this a core value. And the way to, to recognize just the importance of equipping in the life of the church, and specifically our church, is to think again about what we've talked about over the last few weeks, right? Our vision is to glorify God. Our mission is to make disciples by proclaiming the gospel, baptizing those who believe, helping them to follow Jesus by loving God supremely, one another humbly, and the world sacrificially. Our goal then is, is to do that both locally here in Kansas City by engaging those in our different spheres of influence and then also globally by identifying and raising up and sending missionaries overseas to plant churches. And then these core values then that undergird that desperate prayer, like devoting ourselves to prayer, praying together, being dependent upon God in prayer, meaningful membership, taking responsibility for one another's spiritual growth and one another's spiritual well-being, and gospel centrality, keeping the gospel, protecting the gospel, preserving the gospel, keeping the gospel at the center of everything we do in the life of our church. Like the only hope that we have to living out all of that that I just described and for all of that to be a lot more than just a fancy slogan or a fancy vision statement, the only hope that we have to living out all of those, those things and those things becoming a reality in the life in our individual lives, but also in the life of our church, the only hope we have to seeing any of those things lived out and becoming a reality in our church is if we're equipped. Like, it's great to have a vision. It's great to have a mission. It's great to have all these goals and values. But, man, if you're not equipped and prepared and trained and developed and invested and poured into to be able to accomplish any of that, then all that's just a pipe dream. Like, all that's just talk. None of it will be action. None of it will be reality in the life of the church if we don't prioritize and emphasize equipping the saints for the work of ministry. And that's what we're going to be looking at during our time here together this morning. We're going to look at how the importance, number one, of equipping in the life of the church. And then secondly, we're going to try and get really, really practical and specific and talking through the implications and applications of what this looks like for our church. And so then if you still have your Bibles open to Ephesians chapter 4 here, this passage that Mackenzie just read, I had to read verse 7 through 16. For the sake of our time together this morning, all we're going to be doing is looking at verses 11 and 12. And there's two reasons for that. Number one, there's a good chance we might be preaching through Ephesians later on this year. And so don't want to steal the thunder for later on. Number two would be the nature of this series in which we're in we, is, is heavy on application. It's heavy on talking about how these values, vision, mission, goal practically flesh themselves out in the life of our church. 
And so a lot of what we're going to be doing this morning is going to be heavy on application. And so if we were going to try and do 7 through 16, there would be little to no application during our time together because there's a little bit within those verses that we would have to nuance and define and get into. So we're going to look at verse 11 and 12, and even on those, we're not going to go as deep as we could, but we're going to look at verse 11 and 12 and see the biblical basis for equipping, how it's rooted and grounded in Scripture, and then we're going to see how we as a church are seeking to equip uh, the saints, our body, for the work ministry. So look at verse 11. Again, Paul writes this. He says, and he gave the apostles, the prophets, the evangelists, the shepherds, friend, the pastors and teachers to equip the saints for the work of ministry for building up the body of Christ. So within those two verses, we see this logical progression of how God builds up and matures the church. And we see this logical progression fleshed out in three biblical truths. And you can see the first one on your handout there. It's that Jesus has given leaders to the church as gifts. That Jesus has given leaders to the church as gifts. In order to see this, it's important to understand just real quick that the context in which verse 11 and 12 fall in. In order to see the context, we have to look real quick at verse 7 through 10, which are the verses I said we're not going to get into. But we have to get into them just a tad bit in order to understand what's going on at the very beginning here in verse 11. And so in verses 7 through 10, here's kind of a summary of what's going on there. Paul is comparing Jesus to a military conqueror who has just defeated his enemies. And so in that day... After a military conqueror, like a military general, defeated his enemies, he would return back to his kingdom with his enemies as captives. And he would also return back to his kingdom with all these spoils of war that he plundered from his enemies. And then he would take those spoils of war and he would give them as gifts to those within his kingdom. And so those within his kingdom were always eager, like, yeah, when is he going to come back? Because we're going to get, like, it's going to be Christmas. Like, we're going to get all these these gifts that he plundered from our our enemies. And so what Paul is saying in verses 7 through 10 is Jesus is like that military conqueror. That when Jesus rose from the dead, he, he, didn't, he didn't conquer the Medes, he didn't conquer the, the Persians, he didn't conquer, just fill in the blank. Instead, when Jesus rose from the dead, he conquered someone and something a lot more powerful than the Medes and the Persians. He conquered like sin. He conquered death. And after he conquered sin, and after he conquered death, he ascended back to heaven. And when he ascended back to heaven, what he began to do is he began to give gifts then to the church. And look at the specific gifts then that Jesus began to give to the church in verse 11. He gave, these are the spoils of war that Jesus is giving his gifts to the church. He gave the apostles, the prophets, the evangelists, the shepherds or pastors, and teachers. So then there's a lot of debate here in regards to exactly all these specific roles and leadership roles that that Paul mentions here. I'm not going to dive into that debate this morning for the reasons that I gave earlier. But what I do want us to see here is the point that Jesus is, or that Paul is making here, is that Jesus has given these leaders as gifts 
to the church. Now, I know some of you, when you hear this, you look at the five pastors within this church, and you kind of feel, you might kind of feel like Christmas morning, where all your friends got all these really cool gifts, and your parents gave you like a number two pencil. And you're like, look at their gifts. Look at the gift I got. Like, I got ripped off. Because Jared, Bill, Mike, Eric, myself, are Jesus' gift to you. And I didn't know necessarily how to say that. And so, but that's the point. Like, this is kind of a hard verse to preach. Like, get up here and just, hi, I'm God's gift to you. You know what I mean? Like, how do, how do, you, how do you say that? So, I didn't know how to say that. So, that's the first truth. We're moving on. Okay, Jesus has given leaders to the church as gifts. We're the spoils of war that have been given to you as, as gifts. Second truth, then. Jesus has given leaders to the church for the purpose of equipping the saints for the work of ministry. So that's what Paul says next. Look at this logical progression in verse 12. He got the apostles, the prophets, the evangelists, the shepherds, the pastors, and teachers to... So here's the reason. Here's the purpose. Here's motivation for giving these gifts to the church. These leaders as gifts to the church. To... Equip the saints for the work of ministry. This right here is is huge. It's especially huge when it comes to understanding the distinct role and the distinct responsibility of pastors and elders in the life of the church. That the job of the pastor isn't to do the work of ministry for the people. Instead, the job of the pastor is to equip the body and the people to do the ministry themselves. Do you see that there? That's a paradigm shifter right there. In other words, the job of the pastor isn't to do all the ministry for the people. The job of the pastor is to equip the people to minister to one another. In other words, a pastor is more like a coach than a player. That his his focus is on equipping, training, coaching players to play not to go out and play the game for them. Or the job of the pastor is more like a a parent, that the job of the parent isn't to do everything for their kids. Okay, let me say that again. The job of the parent isn't supposed to be, you know, supposed to be where the parent does everything for their kids, like the kid's 18 and you're still tying their shoes for them. You know, that's, that's not good. Instead, the job of the parent is to equip the kids, to train the kid to be able to tie their own shoes and to be able to clean their own room and to be able to do their own laundry. And so like even those two illustrations and examples, they're they're not perfect illustrations, right? They're not perfect examples because a pastor is a lot more than a coach. Like a pastor's a player too. Pastor's like Pete Rose from the 80s, right? Kind of this Y'all have no idea what I'm talking about. But kind of this player coach, he he plays the game, 
and he coaches the players. So he, he's doing both of those. He, he doesn't just train the players and, okay, y'all go do it, but he's, he's doing it alongside of them. He's doing, it, he's doing it with them. He's serving, caring, ministering, counseling, discipling. He's playing the game with the players. But there's also this distinct role and responsibility that he has in equipping and training the players to play the game, play the game themselves. So then do you, do you see that? This distinct role of pastors in the life of the church. And though, do you see the distinct role of members in the life of the church? That as a member, your role is not to come here each Sunday to watch a show. Your, your role isn't to come here each Sunday to consume religious goods and religious services. Instead, your role is to come here each Sunday to be equipped for ministry and to do the work of ministry. Like that's why you're getting in your car and you're coming here and you're walking into this room. It's to get your hands dirty in the lives of other people, to get your knees all scraped up as you're involved in, in work. You're coming here to work. You're coming here to get busy. You're coming here to engage in the lives of to engage in the lives of, of people and to be equipped to be able to do that. And so then one of the ways, or I would say the chief way in the life of the, our church when it comes to doing the work of ministry, the primary way you can do the work of ministry in the life of our church is this. It's to invest in relationships. I know that doesn't sound like Wow, wow, that's amazing. No, the primary chief way you can do the work of ministry in the life of our church is to invest in relationships. When we go through our membership class and do membership interviews, the number one question we get from people going through the membership class and the membership interview is, is a great question. And I love this question, and this question needs to continue to be asked, so I'm not dogging this question. But the question is, how can I be involved in this church? How can I serve in the church? Love that question. But usually what's behind that question is, what's a formal organized program in the life of the church that I can serve in and be involved in? And I, I get that. But do you know what our usual normal response is? When people ask, how can I be involved in the life of the church? How can I serve in the life of our church? Our normal response is invest in relationships. Just, just invest in relationships. In other words, get here a little bit early on Sunday morning and start talking to people. Look for things that need to be done. Begin to probe into people's lives and get to know people. Hear about their weeks. Hear about how they're struggling. Hear about how you can pray for them. Look for ways to encourage them in the Lord and in the gospel. Look around on Sunday morning. Who's not sitting by anybody? Who seems to be lonely? Who's not engaged in anybody's lives? Go sit with them. After the service is over, look around. Who's new? Go greet them. Look around. Who's not talking to anybody? Who seems to kind of be on the fringe? Engage in their life. Reach out to them. Get to know them. Afterwards, invite people to lunch. Throughout the week then, text people, call people, pray for people. 
meet with people, invite people over for lunch and dinner and breakfast, and care for people, serve people. Just think about one way you can encourage somebody this week. On and on and on and on and on. Like that's the work of ministry. It's not a position. It's not a title. You won't find it in an, an announcement on the back of the worship guide. It's not necessarily serving in a formal church-sponsored program. Instead, it's intentionally investing in the lives of others for the purpose of encouraging and building them up in the Lord and doing them some sort of spiritual good. I remember when we were very early on in our church plant, I was meeting with someone, and they were asking me if we had this program and that program and that program and that program in the life of the church. And I said, no, 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 we don't have that, we don't have that, we don't have that, we don't have that, we don't have that. Then I looked at him, I said, we got, we got something better than all that. We got people. We got people. And I guarantee you that if you come, we might not have a program for you to fit into and, and plug you into, but what, what we do have are people who will pour into you. We have people that will pursue you. We have people that will love you. We have people that will pray for you. We have, people, we have people that will take responsibility for your spiritual growth, take responsibility for your spiritual well-being. We have people that will disciple you. We have people that will care for you. We have people that will counsel you. We, we got that. We don't have all that other stuff, but we got people who will do that for you. Sounds good. It, they didn't like it. They didn't stay around, but anyway... It, is the truth, you know. But that's, that's it right there, right? And our job as pastors is to equip you to do all of that. Okay, third truth. Logical progression here, right? As the leaders equip the saints and the saints do the work of ministry, then the body of Christ is built up. It's the result we see. Look at verse 12. He gave the apostles, prophets, the evangelists, shepherds, and teachers to equip the saints for the work of ministry. Now here it comes. For building up the body of Christ. So this is the result or the goal of everything that we've seen up to this point. That as pastors invest their time in equipping the body to do the work of ministry, and as the body begins to do the work of ministry in their relationships with one another, they begin to care for one another and serve one another and disciple one another and take responsibility for each other's spiritual growth and spiritual well-being, then as a result of all of those things going on, then the result is the body of Christ is built up. It's strengthened. It, it matures and grows together in maturity. But if the pastors begin to hog all the ministry, and aren't willing to share the ministry with others. And don't spend time investing in others and equipping others and training others for ministry. And if they seek to do all the ministry themselves, or if those within the body don't want to be equipped, are too busy to be equipped, and don't want to serve and don't want to do ministry, and just want to consume and watch a show, if all of that's the reality then, then three things are going to happen. Not one of three, but three things are going to happen. First, the pastors are all going to die. 
They're going to burn out and die. Secondly, if the pastors do all the ministry for the people, then there's going to be a whole lot of ministry that's never going to get done. There's going to be a whole lot of people that are never going to be discipled, a whole lot of people that are never going to be cared for, a whole lot of people that are never going to be counseled, a whole lot of people that are never going to be just fill in the blank. Because there's only so many pastors to do so much ministry. And so if that ministry is outside of this scope of what those five pastors can do, it's just not going to get done. And then third, the pastors don't equip the body for ministry and instead seek to do all the ministry themselves, then the body is going to be no different from an immature, spoiled, rotten, 10-year-old whose parent does absolutely everything for them. Because of those reasons, it's like imperative that we prioritize the role of equipping in the life of the church, in the life of of this church. Which then leads to this question, this application. What's this look like for us? What's this mean for us? How are we seeking to do what Paul is saying here and equip the body to do the work of ministry so that as a result, the body, our church, is built up and strengthened and grows in maturity together? Well, here, here are four ways. We'll finish with this, but four ways we're seeking to equip those in our body for the work of ministry. And let me say this before we dive into these. Man, I have failed in this, especially early on in our church plan. That that picture that I described earlier about the, guy, about the pastors trying to do all the work of ministry self and not delegating, not sharing, not empowering others for ministry and things of that nature... It's, it's an area that early on in our church plant that I, I failed. And as a result, our, our church suffered for it. And even now, as I think about equipping in, in these verses here and just this picture that we see, Paul here and these truths here, like, we're still a work in progress. We still, and I'm talking about us as, as elders, we still have a long way to go when it comes to really equipping and investing and training and preparing people for ministry. Think like what we see Paul talking about here. So we have a, we have a long way to go. But, but here, are, here are four ways that, that we are intentionally seeking to do this within the life of our church. And so the first way is this. We're seeking to equip every member of Cross Fellowship Church in the following ways. So the emphasis here that I wanna, want you to see is, is every. Every member. So Every person within our body, we're intentionally seeking to equip every person within our body in these following ways. The first is, and you see these on your handout, and this shouldn't be new to you, but the first is in loving God supremely. Loving God supremely. And one of the ways that we're seeking to do this is by offering specialized equipping classes that are focused on providing biblical and theological training for those within our church. And so then I mentioned this before, but sometime this year, we don't currently have these. We, we've had these in the past. They were known as equipping seminars, but we're trying to, trying to change them and, and make them a little more focused in, in some different ways and, and helpful in other ways. But our plan is to offer these in-depth, specialized classes that offer practical, biblical, and theological training for 
everyone that wants to attend in the life of our church. And our goal is, is biblical literacy. Our goal is to help people grow in their understanding of the word, their understanding of the theology of the word, knowledge of God's word. So the plan is to offer classes like focused on the storyline of scripture and biblical theology and Christian doctrine and how to study and interpret the Bible, spiritual formation, and things like that. So we don't have those yet, but we're working on that, and hopefully that's coming in the near future. Next then, we want to equip every member to love one another humbly. And the specific way we want to seek to do that is by equipping all of us within our body to live as meaningful members in our relationships with one another. And so as during our quiz time at the very beginning of this sermon, you mentioned that the second core value that we talked about a couple weeks ago was meaningful membership. And if you remember during that sermon, I gave this long laundry list of what meaningful membership looks like in the life of our church. Here's the cliff note version of that list. It means we take responsibility for each other's spiritual growth and well-being. It means that we come, come to Sunday morning um, ready to serve and invest in others. It means we pursue and invest in meaningful relationships with each other throughout the week. It means we live open and honest lives with each other. It means we seek to guard and protect each other from sin. It means we consistently pray for each other. It means we disciple each other and seek to spur each other on in following Jesus. It means we serve and care for each other. It means we attend and participate in our members' meetings together. And so you listen to all that, right? Like, that doesn't happen by accident. A body and a group of people within a church don't just all of a sudden wake up and start living like that together. And so that to be trained, have to be equipped, has to be modeled, has to be, people have to be prepared and challenged to, to live like this. And so then one of the ways we're, we try and equip you as a, as a body to, to live like this in your relationships with one another is, is in our worship gatherings. It's in our preaching. It's part of the reason for the series that we're in on vision and values. It's by casting vision of what this looks like, painting a picture of what this looks like, teaching, grounding everything in the Word when it comes to what all this looks like, challenging you to live as meaningful members in your relationships with one another. Another way we seek to equip you to do this is, is by trying to model this for you as elders, by trying to provide pastoral oversight for you as elders and modeling these characteristics of a meaningful member for you. Another way we seek to equip you to live as a meaningful member in these ways is through our discipleship communities, right? That RDCs is one of the primary contexts in which we live as meaningful members together. And so through RDCs, trying to equip those within RDCs to live as meaningful members in their relationships with one another. And then third and finally, we're seeking to help equip every member to love the world sacrificially. To love the world sacrificially. We want to do this by equipping every member to, to engage in the lives of those within their sphere of influence and equip them to share the gospel. So we've talked about this before a few weeks ago, but this year, hoping to, and over the years to come, just ongoing evangelism sort of classes that will help you to be able to know how to engage in the lives of those in your spheres of influence and to share the gospel and to verbally proclaim the gospel within those different contexts. So look for those opportunities in the near future. So those are three specific ways then that we're intentionally trying to equip every member in the life of our church to do the work of ministry. 
And just put all that together, right? Just see the possibilities here. Every member rooted, grounded in, being equipped in sound biblical theology, sound doctrine, being equipped in the word, then equipped and actively living as a meaningful member, taking responsibility for other members in their relationships with one another, and equipped to engage those in their spheres of influence and share the gospel with them. And as all of that is going on, then what's happening? The body of Christ is built up. The body of Christ is strengthened, growing in, growing in maturity in their relationships with, with one another and their relationships with the Lord. Leads to the second way we want to equip and are seeking to equip our, our body for the work of ministry. And you see this on your handout. We're seeking to equip every discipleship community leader to lead and shepherd their DC. We're seeking to equip DC leaders to lead and shepherd their DCs. I mentioned this just a minute ago, but when it comes to doing the work of ministry in the life of our church, one of the primary contexts in which this work of ministry is done within the life of our church is within our discipleship communities. And if you're new here and you hear this word, or two words, discipleship communities, you're like, what in the world are those? Those are like our, this is as creative as we are as a church. Okay? Those are, those, our DCs, our discipleship communities, it's our fancy word for small groups. So that's as creative as we are when it comes to our church. But our DCs, they're one of the primary contexts, right, in which we as members and those within our body serve and disciple and care and love and take responsibility for one another. And since that's the case, since our DCs are the primary context in which we do the work of ministry, then it's imperative that those who lead those DCs are being equipped and being trained to lead their DCs. And it's also imperative that we're intentionally seeking to raise up and develop more and more and more DC leaders along the way within the life of our church as well. So again, this is an area that we haven't always done very well in, particularly in the past. That the far majority of DCs that have existed in the life of our church have been led by elders. And we haven't done a very good job of raising up and equipping and developing and raising up new DC leaders from the members and from the body within our church. And so then, beginning a couple months ago in January, we began to aggressively and urgently seek to correct and to address that problem. And so since January, we've been meeting with a group of new DC leaders from the members' membership within our church pouring into them, seeking to equip them, seeking to train them, prepare them to lead a DC of their own. And so then our plan is once we restart and reset our new DCs in April, our plan is to start with 10 new discipleship communities. And of those 10 new discipleship communities, only one of them, maybe two, but only one of them will be led by one of us elders. That doesn't mean that we as elders are just going to take the night off then and just watch TV that Wednesday night. Instead, what it means is that our focus as elders then will be to pour into, to invest, and to equip, and to prepare the current, and to coach the current DC leaders, and to seek to prepare and train and equip and raise up more and more DC leaders to do the work of ministry. Next then, we're seeking to equip aspiring pastors and church planters. 
seeking to equip aspiring pastors and church planters. This is another area we still have a long, long way to go when it comes to this. But we have a pastoral ministry training group that meets on Sundays um, afternoons after church. And this group consists of guys uh, within our church who are interested in some sort of, of pastoral ministry. And so then this semester, when it comes to our pastoral ministry training group, um, we're focusing on preaching. And so we have 10 guys in there who we've been walking through just the sermon preparation process, what it looks like and how to prepare a sermon. And so we've walked through all that. And so now over the next three months, it's going to be the moment of truth because now these guys are going to begin to preach their sermons to one another and then we're going to lovingly and humbly critique one another after they uh, preach their sermons to our group um, on Sunday afternoon. And so you can be praying for them um, as they get ready uh, to do that. Because I remember the first time I did that, I was scared out of my mind. And so anyway, pray for those guys. But other semesters, we focus on the doctrine of the church, church government, focus on pastoral ministry and different aspects of practical pastoral ministry, roles and responsibilities of elders, and how all that fleshes itself out within the life of the church. But the purpose in all of this is because we as pastors, we as elders, want to take it seriously, what Paul is saying here, to invest in future pastors, future church planters, so that the body of Christ will be built up and strengthened. Finally then, we're seeking to equip aspiring missionaries, seeking to equip aspiring missionaries. Right now, what we've been doing is that we've been including um, aspiring missionaries in our pastoral ministry training group, but Eric um, Odegaard is working on a more focused plan for how we can be more intentional and more deliberate when it comes to pouring into and investing in and developing um, aspiring missionaries within the life of our church that we want to send. So we don't believe that this is something that we're simply to outsource to a missions agency outside of us, but based upon Ephesians 4 here, we believe that our role and our responsibility as a church is to invest in, equip, and develop, and then to deploy uh, those that we seek to send. So that's something that we still have a long ways uh, to go in, but something that we're trying to take steps to develop and to be more intentional in when it comes to the life of our church. So here's what I want you to see. Do you, do you see God's design in all this? See that logical progression in God's design all this. He gives pastors and leaders as gifts to the church, not to do the work of ministry for the people, but to equip the people to do the work of ministry themselves, to serve one another, disciple one another, care for one another, counsel one another, take responsibility for one another. And as all that is happening among every member in the life of the body, then what is the result? The body of Christ then is built up and strengthened and matures together. And as that happens then, guess what? Who gets the glory? Not the superstar pastor that the church all revolves around. Instead, Jesus gets the glory. And the reason Jesus gets the glory is because the pastor, and pastors aren't the ones who are ultimately building the church. The members aren't the ones who are ultimately building the church. Instead, Jesus is the one who is ultimately building the church. That Jesus is the one who came and lived the life that you and I could not live. 
He came to die the death that you and I deserve because of our sin and our rebellion against him. And he came and he conquered death through his resurrection from the dead. So that now, just follow along with me here. Now all those who turn from themselves and trust in Jesus as their substitutionary sacrifice, as the one who has substituted himself in their place for their sin to incur the judgment that they deserve for their sin on the cross, those who make Jesus and trust in Jesus as their only hope will be rescued from the judgment that they deserve for all of their sins. But they just won't be rescued. You'll be incorporated into this body known as the church. But then Jesus isn't done. He's not, okay, there's the church. I'm, I'm done now. So that Jesus, in his kindness, he then begins to fill the church with leaders and gives the church leaders as gifts. And those leaders then begin to equip and invest and pour into and train and prepare the rest of the body to do the work of ministry. And as the, work, as the body begins to do that and serves and loves and cares and disciples and takes responsibility for each other's spiritual growth and well-being, that body is, the body is maturing and strengthening and growing. And we look at it and we're like, Man, look what Jesus did. He did that. Those people wouldn't be a part of that body if it wasn't for, for his work on the cross and the resurrection. Those, those people wouldn't have leaders if it wasn't for Jesus filling them with him. Those people wouldn't be doing the work of ministry if it wasn't for Jesus. Body wouldn't be built up and strengthened if it wasn't for Jesus. So then it's because of that. It's, pastors don't get the glory. The members don't get the glory. Jesus is the one who gets, who gets the glory. The other day on, on Twitter, I wouldn't necessarily recommend Twitter, but the other day on Twitter is a weak moment. I'm trying to get rid of Twitter. You can pray for me. Um, it just won't go away. But the other day on Twitter, uh, somebody posed this question. Just ask, what's the best part about being a pastor? What's the best part about being a pastor? I didn't reply back to that tweet because I'm not supposed to be on Twitter. But um, if I would have replied back to that tweet, I would have said something like this. The best part about being a pastor is to hear about all the ministry that is going on in the life of our church that I'm not a part of. The best part about being a pastor is about hearing about all this ministry that is going on in the life of our church that I literally had no idea about and that I had nothing to do with. There is nothing, and I literally mean that, nothing that thrills my heart more than to hear about all the different ways you're doing the work of ministry. And I'm not there. And none of the other pastors are there. And we have nothing to do with it. And this is one of the reasons I love being one of your pastors. 
Because I hear these stories all the time. Like literally daily. Hear stories about this all the time. Hear stories about members just invited, inviting visitors over for lunch. I'm thinking, man, I need to reach out to that. I need to reach out to them. I need to reach out to them. Three members have already had them over for lunch. Here yesterday about a member of our church just investing in a sixth grader. Spending the afternoon just loving, investing, caring, discipling. Life of a sixth grader, not even their kid. Here about a group of guys getting together, just confessing sin, fighting sin, holding each other accountable, fighting for each other's holiness together. It's been going on for months. I had no idea about it. A group of ladies getting together, just study the Bible together. I'm not there. All these different ways, people serving each other, caring for each other's physical needs. I hear about this all the time. So I come to a passage like this, and like, do we need to grow? Well, yeah. We perfect? No. Can we grow as elders and equipping? Of course. Yes. I've already outlined many ways that we can grow. Can we grow as members of doing this work of ministry? Yes. Of course. At the same time, though. As one of your pastors, I am thankful and so encouraged by how I see this being lived out within the life of our church. And my encouragement would be this. Just keep on keeping on. Don't grow complacent. Don't think, hey, we've arrived. But continue to be on the lookout. As new members join us, Visitors attend, as new people attend DCs, as we start new DCs. Those are just new opportunities and new context for us to continue to keep on keeping on, equipping one another to do the work of ministry. Let me pray for us. Lord, thank you for this church. Thank you for the members of this church. Thank you for this body known as Cross Fellowship Church. And Lord, in so many ways, I am so humbled. Remember just even on this past Wednesday night as we were wrapping up our final DC together, just listening to person after person after person after person after person talk about all of these things. And hearing story after story after story of just the body, just engaged in one another's lives, investing in relationships, investing in one another, pouring their lives into one another, serving and caring and discipling one another and building one another up in all these different ways. Oh God, help us to never stop. Help us to never quit. Help us to never think that we've arrived. Help us to never grow complacent in these ways. God, we need you. And Lord, uh, the reason we need you isn't because we want to, want to somehow become this church or that church or to be impressive in any way, shape, or form, Lord. We just want to be a church that's built up, 
strengthened and mature so that you get all the credit for it. Lord, we exist to glorify God. And one of the ways that you're glorified is, as this is saints are equipped for the work of ministry and the body is built up. You get great glory from that. And so, Lord, for the sake of your glory, not for the sake of us, not for the sake of us as elders, not for the sake of us as members, not for the sake of us as a body, but for the sake of you, we pray that you will build and strengthen and grow us in maturity so that you can show yourself off and get all the credit for it and that people outside of this place will praise and honor and glorify you because of what you've done here. That is our heartbeat. And that is the point of all these things. And that's why we pray. It's in Jesus' name that we pray all these things.